That's a growler. Welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one minute at a time. I'm Bobby. And I'm Janae. And we have a very special guest today, Carrie, my lovely wife, who is also my co-host for the LDS Dating Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for joining us this lovely Friday to talk about Minute 10 of Beauty and the Beast. Um, So this minute starts off with... Uh, where's my notes? Sorry. Starts off with Belle saying, it's just that I'm not sure. And it ends with Maurice riding away to the fair. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Janae, do you want to start off? Start us off? Do you have anything? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, the first thing that I noticed is Maurice seems to be a little out of it in regards to people. Um, I wonder how much he interacts with them because... At the beginning of this minute, Belle is basically telling her dad all about how she doesn't really fit in. Is she weird? And Maurice is just like, nah, you're not weird. And she's like, I don't have any friends. And he's like, well, what about that Gaston guy? He's handsome and burly. And what's wrong with him? And you're like, "Uh, hello, do you know your daughter at all? He would not be a good fit for her. Um, So that's kind of our first clue that he's a little bit of a crackpot, I think. Well, I mean, aside from his, like, hat thing and his weird tools. But um, I thought it was interesting in the new movie, which you guys haven't seen yet, have you? Nope. No. Okay. So in the new movie, um, they do take Maurice a little bit back to the traditional story in some ways, um, but he basically tells Gaston in the new movie, you're never going to marry my daughter because he doesn't think that he's not out of it like that, you know? Uh-huh. So I did kind of like that about Maurice in the new movie, but you still got to love this guy because he is trying, <laughs> even if he doesn't really get what's going on. Yeah, I mean... I think it definitely fits in with the persona that he has as someone that is intelligent in a certain way. You know, he's kind of your, right. your stereotypical inventor, smart guy. That they just they just played on that that he understands machinery, he understands science, but he's really bad at people. And right, uh, I think I talked about it yesterday when we were we talked about the last minute. But I really like their their relationship that they they're trying to talk to each other, but he just doesn't understand what's going on socially. <laughs> Right, right. I think also, I mean, it was probably really important that he was like that in the film because it gives Belle an opportunity when he asks about Gaston, it gives Belle an opportunity to express her thoughts and feelings about him. Because, I mean, we just saw an interaction that she had with him, but um, this is her being able to more openly express what she's thinking and feeling about him and how she... I mean, it's still fairly kind to him whenever she interacts with him, but she still is like, uh, no way, Jose. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good point. So, did we talk about that huge pot in the back last time? Yeah, I have that in my notes for this time, but we did talk about it previously. <laughs> yeah, um, so that, okay. that's the big old smelting pot that we talked about before. Yeah, cool. Um, 
so I did, you know, she's saying that she's not fitting into the town people and with, with the townspeople. And again, that brings up the question of how long have they been there? Because right, that's right. kind of a question you have when you're still fairly new to an area. Like, I'm not sure how well I'm fitting in. I don't have any friends. But I mean, I got the feeling from what we have seen so far that they've been there for quite a while. Um, so maybe this is just like her teenageness insecurity coming out. Um, I don't know. How old do we think Belle is? I believe she's supposed well, to be 17. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be 17. Hmm. Which I thought she was supposed to be way older because she acts much more mature than any of the other Disney princesses. But that's just me. I don't know. Had to grow up quicker back in the day. And she reads yeah. She reads a lot, so she's uh, right. She's mentally matured. Yes, she's much more intellectual and wise, probably, from the things that she's read. Do you have any other thoughts on this before we move on, Carrie? Um, I was thinking this conversation is kind of uh, the second spot in the movie where we see her being a deeper character than we've seen with, like, past Disney princesses and stuff, like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and Cinderella. They all are just kind mm -hmm. of very shy and um what would you call them kind of uh just sugary you know and here she's got a lot more going on thinking about how she fits in and analyzing gaston as being conceited right. and rude and things i think this kind of shows her as more of an in-depth princess and that's part of why people like her because she's more substantial so i think this is her second kind of more substantial scene than what we saw in the old Disney classic stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that um, she is, uh, I mean, the other princesses up to this point, everything kind of happens to them. And she is a person where she's like, it's not just happening to me. I'm thinking about, I'm figuring out, I have desires, I have goals and dreams. And so I think that's something that I really love about her and relate to is that I mean, it's not that she looks down at the people around her, but she knows she doesn't fit in and she doesn't necessarily know where. And so she wants to go find that place where she does fit in and she has people who understand her and um, things like that. So, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. No problem. <laughs> so that made me realize, uh, Carrie, we did not get your your background on Beauty and the Beast. We should. Uh, how how has it affected our what was your experience with Beauty and the Beast growing up? When did you first see it? How, did, <laughs> how do you like it? Oh. That kind of stuff. Oh, well, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> Neither were we. <laughs> uh, well, this movie came out in 1991, which is the year I was born. Woohoo! So, <laughs> so Great that, year to be born. <laughs> yeah, I think I have a connection with it because of that. It's like my Disney year movie. But uh, I obviously didn't see it for at least a couple years, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I feel like all the Disney movies just kind of already existed by the time I started watching them. And I remember thinking that Beauty and the Beast was really fun because of all the animated objects in the castle and stuff. And um, I always love Mrs. Potts. She's my favorite. I love Angela Lansbury and her old show, Murder, She Wrote. Amen. So. <laughs> She's brilliant. I love her. 
Yeah, she is number one. And uh-huh. I think this, I don't know if she's done any other animations besides um, Beauty and the Beast. You know, I don't, I can't think of any other movies that she's done voiceover for either. Yeah, so I think because of that, it might be very, very dear to my heart. And of course, she sings the tale as old as time. Mm. So just more Angela Lansbury love coming everywhere <laughs> from this movie. Um, I'd say those are my main connections. I love Angela Lansbury the most. And I always liked how Belle was a brunette. She's like the only brunette. And she's modest, unlike Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ariel. <laughs> yeah, I can relate more to Belle as a as a modest brunette who reads. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I've I've always liked it. It's my birth year movie, and I, I'm glad y'all are doing a minute on it. I support you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's move on through the minute. Um, the next thing that kind of happens is they he finishes tinkering, right? Yeah. And uh, you probably have more to say about this than I do, but he finishes tinkering and he's like, okay, we're going to check it out and try it and see if it'll work so he can go to this fair. And... They step back and turn it on, and I I was watching this, and I thought it was so funny how they're just cringing away at first. <laughs> well, it just blew up in his face a well, few minutes ago. Uh, this is true. This is true. Um, but do you have any thoughts about this contraption to add that we haven't talked about um, in the previous minute or anything about that? As a matter of fact, I do. Get re- Please do share. <laughs> Get ready for a five-minute, ten-minute rant. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so first off, uh, when we were talking about it before, um, we didn't get a really great look at the machine, and in this minute when he cranks it on, we get a little, a little bit uh, better view of how it works. And I'm still not entirely sure, but I can <laughs> kind of like see that, okay, it's got like the little... Uh, I don't want to call it a piston because it, it's made, it's like an accordion bellows type of thing. But <laughs> yeah, if, if we called that a piston, then it could be like a one cylinder engine, like, and that little barrel has the explosion that's moving the accordion up and down. And that's what's cranking the flywheel or, or the crankshaft or whatever you want to call it and making the whole thing run. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say it's a very, very weird, impossible, crude but disney um (laughs) one cylinder internal combustion engine running off of gasified wood um so i'm still going with the gasification theory um it's a cool theory yeah i think i think it works as much as anything else would but that that brings me to second 28 in this minute and this is crucial for the the big the big theory i have of where this is taking place and when it is taking place So second 28, we get a pretty good look at the top of the machine. Um, It's got the teapot and it's got that little hose tied into the teapot that goes down to the spinny thing. (laughs) Right. Um, So this hose, I was trying to think what this could be made out of. My first thought was copper. 
but I'm pretty sure... It, it like, bulges. Yeah, it bulges. It, yeah, it looks rubbery. Exactly. So I went and did some research on rubber and when that would have come to pass. So the first thing we've got is a guy named, I'm going to butcher this, Charles-Marie de la Condamine. Condamine. Uh, he's a French guy, born in 1701, died in 1774. Um, and he was kind of a scientist, adventurer kind of guy. Um, so he was in Ecuador and he got separated from his, his party of European people. And he was the first one to encounter rubber when he kind of separated in, in Ecuador. And um, do, 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 do. let me see. It says he's credited with introducing samples of rubber to the Royal Academy of Science in, of France in 1736. And in 1751, he presented a paper uh, by Francois Fresneau to the Academy, which was published in 1755, which described many of the properties of rubber. And that's been referred to oh. as the first scientific paper on rubber. Then we have, uh, I don't know how to say this guy's names either, <laughs> Macaire, Pierre, Pierre, Joseph Macaire. Yeah. Um, he was born in France. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he is the first one, I guess, to investi investigate rubber, um, which came from South America. And he found that it dissolved in ether and could be formed into flexible tubes in 1768. Mm. So assuming that that okay. is a rubber tube, it, this movie has to be taking place sometime after 1768. So wow. if we go back yeah. to the notes that I had the other day where we were talking about the inventions and the kind of like big things that happened during that time period, um, 1768, that there were lots of inventions going on around then, the steam engine, um, a little bit later, the flush toilet in 55. Um, but the thing I kind of wanted to, to pinpoint was that in 1789, the guillotine is invented. Um, mm. and that's when we have the French revolution happening. Ooh. So that's something that I've kind of been caught up in, uh, for a while. It's like, Hey, this is, if I'm putting this in the right time period, this is, you know, 10 to 20 years before the French Revolution and Belle's becoming a royal. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. So at the most, you know, that's how much time they have before somebody's going to come in and chop off their heads. Um, <gasps> but then Carrie was telling me that she heard a theory, I think from the Carlin brothers or somebody, that they escaped from France, which makes sense. You know, a lot of the, the French nobles... Uh, went to, to England right. or somewhere else. Because the Scarlet Pimpernel helped them get out. Oh, yeah. Just saying. And yeah. I love the Super Carlin brothers. Shout out to them. Huge fan. Sorry, did you... What did you say, Carrie? I didn't understand what you just said. The Scarlet or... The Scarlet the Pimpernel. Scarlet Pimpernel? Yeah, what's that? So, um, the Scarlet Pimpernel is a novel written by a French woman about the French Revolution, and it's about an Englishman who basically disguises himself and gives himself the pseudonym of the Scarlet Pimpernel, and he goes to France and helps rescue the French aristocrats from the guillotine and brings them back to England so that they can't be killed. Okay. And he's married to, like, a French woman, and oh my gosh, it's 
fantastic book. And if you ever see the movie, watch the black and white version with Leslie Howard. It is the best. So noted. That's all. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Sorry. I'm passionate about that book and movie. Um, so moving on. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of, uh, I guess, the, the sad note. So from, from this rubber hose, you know, this rubber hose few seconds that we have here, I'm going to go ahead and place this movie a few years after 1768. Um, so we're probably in the 1770-somethings. Perfect. The hose is also, like, patch repaired, so it could be a little later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's definitely seen <laughs> some use already. This is true. But it does explode well, often, so <laughs> <laughs> could be a new hose. <laughs> well, if you think about it, when did the French Revolution start? I believe it was uh, 1789, I want to say. 1789. And so later on, the guillotine is not pictured in this. It's Eiffel Tower, my bad. But in the new one, they used the guillotine during Be Our Guest. So. Just conversationally, though, in that uh, that video that I don't remember if you shared it or if Sally shared it, but it said that the guillotine would have also been after the time period that it's supposed to be. Right, right. So they were trying to correct, like, oh, the Eiffel Tower wasn't around yet. But, but they was still the didn't get it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> um, the guillotine anyway, isn't, isn't quite so romantic either as the Eiffel Tower. No, so it, it's not. <laughs> seems like a pretty big uh, miss right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was going to comment that, um, in the original story that was written, the father, Belle's father was a, uh, oh my gosh. Merchant? Yes. Thank you. He was a merchant. And in this one, he's an inventor. And I thought about that and I was like, well, I mean, what was wrong with him being a merchant? But I can see why they changed it. Cause it, it made, it kind of made sense for him to be an inventor because, of this industrial revolution and um, manual labor was starting to be replaced by machinery, like the Age of Enlightenment. So I feel like we've talked about this already, but I just think it's cool that they put him into that world that was being created and established. And anyway, that's all. They also needed his uh, his woodcutting machine to break him and Bell out later on <laughs> no, in the movie. Right? Otherwise, what would they have done? Well, I was listening to the... I finally went and watched like the, the commentary on the movie, and they didn't actually plan for the wood chipper, chopper, whatever it's called, his machine, to break them out. They were just like, okay, well, they're, they're in the basement. How do we get them out? And then somebody's like, hey, isn't that like machine sitting around? So... Which kind of makes sense because if you think about it, it's meant to be stationary and then all of a sudden at the end, it is on wheels. Oh, no, it has wheels the whole time. It does have wheels the whole time? Yeah, yeah. Why does at it least have... for him to take it away. Except for he, he put puts it on, it on a cart. Well, yeah, because the wheels aren't meant to cart it around. It's not like a long distance wheel thing. So they're pretty small little wheels. So it's just for, I guess, transporting it around wherever you are chopping wood at. Around the yard, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, but yeah, in this minute you can definitely see that there there are wheels on it. Because how does it propel itself? It's got a little drive belt that would not work, but it's there. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. 
Well, interesting, very interesting. So the the next thing that I was thinking about was when he gets like, how does that thing reload its own logs? It's my other question about this machine. I think that's just movie magic. Okay, <laughs> just checking <laughs> because I'm like, okay, wait, <laughs> how do those get back yeah, but- on there? There's no logical explanation for that one. They just made it movie magic so that they could have a perfect zinger at the end of this little scene. That was my next point. Is he gets smacked in the head this chunk of wood. And first off, that would totally knock him out. Right. Like he would be gone. He would be out for at least the rest of the day, maybe the rest of the week, um, if he didn't have some serious damage. But in the commentary, they did talk about this a little bit and they were uh they were, I guess, rejoicing in the fact that in this scene they fit like the three rules of comedy, which are to like have somebody's pants get pulled down, have a funny face, and have someone um, get hit in the have head. Somebody, have someone get hit in the head. So That's like we did all three funny. of them. Success. Comedy magic. That's funny. So anyway, that's that's most of what I had, and then as he leaves, just the countryside. So if you have any other notes before we get to that. Uh, the last one I have is just how did they get that thing out of the basement? Oh, so it's like that is a good no point. ramp or anything that I can see. But uh, um, yeah, do you guys watch out. NCIS? I yes. don't. We used to. It's the magic. I mean, how does he? Gibbs is always building his boat downstairs in his basement. How does he get it out? No one knows. Mm. It's the same predicament. Yeah. It's got because later we see that there are stairs from the. This whatever you call them, the doors that go to the outside when right chip comes down them, so that would not work out well. I don't know. Maybe there's a secret doorway that like because maybe they're on a hill, partially on a hill, and so she comes in from the top part of the hill, which is where that door is. But maybe there's a back door that opens up to a ground level of. The kind of like lower part of the hill. That would definitely work. We don't see evidence of it. I literally <laughs> just made that up right now. But <laughs> that's the only thing I yeah, can there's think no, of. There's no evidence yes. for it, but there's no evidence against it either. Woohoo! <laughs> and uh, besides that, I was just thinking what's with the family dynamic? Are there any theories out there that, about like what happened with Belle's mom or how old Belle's dad is? Because he. Uh. I know, he looks pretty old comparatively, huh? Yeah, but he's got brown eyebrows. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. He does? The, the still frame that we're looking at, he has, bra- he ah! has brown eyebrows. I see it. That's So funny. he's got to be well, 50, maybe? I mean, my he could be any age, because my grandpa um, on my mom's side was completely white-haired by the time he was in his, like late 20s early 30s so i guess the white hair itself doesn't necessarily make him old yeah but something happened to Belle's mom so i feel like he's gotta be i guess she could have died in like childbirth so he could still be young but right we're thinking she's 17 so he's probably like 40 i don't know probably that could be people haven't I mean, I feel like people always talk about Chip being, you know, five years old or ten years old or whatever. Right. And they're worried about Mrs. Potts being so old. But no one really mentions but they Belle and her dad kind of look. I feel like he's probably in like his 50s to 60s. Aged. I mean, it could happen. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, 
Um, uh, Janae, do you have anything else? I don't know what happened to her mom. Um, I do not have anything else. Alrighty. That's it for me today. Well, that wraps up our week. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, it's been awesome. We've had a lot of fun and hopefully you've had a lot of fun listening and, uh, enjoying Beauty and the Beast with us this week. Come back and see us again on Monday. We'll have a new episode. We'll be talking about Minute 11. And until then, if you have any comments or your own theories about what's going on, how they get out of the basement, be sure to head over to our social media. We are Beastly Minute on Facebook, on Twitter. You can head over to growlermedia.com and we have a page there with all the episodes posted. Um, So be sure to get in contact with us and let us know your thoughts. Janae, how do people get in contact with you? Oh, you can get in touch with me on Facebook at JH Voiceover. Um, I am on there all the time posting videos and of audio that I do. I'm a professional voiceover artist. And thanks so much for coming on the show, Carrie. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and visit with us about Beauty and the Beast. Yes, definitely. Come back soon and uh, we'll talk some more. All right. Will do. If you want to get a hold of her, the best way to do that is check out the LDS Dating Podcast, which is also a a podcast done by Growler Media. And you can get a hold of me there or here or Growler Media. I'm all over the place. And I manage a lot of the the social media as well. So if you send a message, I'll probably see it. Um, So until next time, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Our theme music is by Duo Hansen.